Morning, everyone. That's pretty good, isn't it? They didn't, they didn't do singing, they did singing. That's good. It's a privilege to speak and always to declare God's word. It's an awesome responsibility that, and I appreciate the fact that Dr. May takes that seriously. You read the bulletin, how he shared with our faculty and he did a great job on it because we always need to be encouraged. All of us do, and particularly in the world in which we live in. Y'all may have read, my wife said I comment on everything, so I told her, no, I don't. So I commented on what she said. Uh, said. So some of y'all read this week where Harvard had now gotten a chief of chaplains, and he's an atheist. So it's kind of odd, and they elected him, the chaplains, the chaplains elected him to be their leader. And because there's so many religions, they said, because he is an adherent to no religion, he will be fair and will be the best. That's like saying that you take all the car manufacturers in the United States and put over their head a guy who's never driven a car. He doesn't have a clue what they mean, so they get to do whatever they want. I guess. I don't know. But I had to comment on that because where is our world coming from? The first university in this country founded by the Puritans of all people to declare the word of God now has a chief chaplain who doesn't even believe that God exists. How far have we come? In, in contrast to that, we're privileged to serve at Shorter. It is uh, your school and it ultimately belongs to the Lord. And so, uh, give you a quick report. We, we just finished our uh, last year with a record fundraising. Our chief fundraiser, Dr. Ben Bruce and his family, he's the one with the six kids over here taking up half a row. He had a good year. And he did that because the Lord empowered him to do his job well. We, at one time, had uh, you know, financial challenges, but for two years in a row, we've had the highest government number you can get two years in the black and that's a good thing for us god is faithful we have a good number of students we're in the midst of doing some things like i call it a rug but it's a turf replacing our ben brady field that a lot of people have had the privilege of practicing and playing on in rome at no cost to them because we are a ministry and so the school grows i think we're going to have our numbers won't be clear, but total about 1,500 and some students, a little higher than last year, and that's a good thing. And so more people want to send their schools to places like Shorter because they want their children to hear there is a God, there is a God who loves them, and there's a God who makes the difference in the world in which we live in. Jesus Christ is Lord. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation. This morning I want to speak on Laodicea. I'm not speaking specifically to our church, but many people believe the seven churches were in chronological order, that the church of Laodicea would be a picture of the church in the end times. I don't know that that's accurate, but it is a picture of the church sometimes. And it's a picture of the church when it gets off its target, when it gets spiritually dull or spiritually dead. And all of us have those times. We just have to be reaffirmed in who we are, and Jesus Christ is the only one who can energize us. 
A number of years ago, a man by the name of Hans Christian Andersen, this is Revelation 3, by the way, verse 14. Hans Christian Andersen wrote a book. It was called The Emperor's New Clothes. And I always liked to read these books when I was a kid. The story is there was an emperor who lived in luxury all the time. He was, had all the good stuff. Well, he was always looking for more good stuff because when you have it all, you've got to find something else. So what he did is he began to think, what new stuff can I get? Well, two charlatans, crooks, deceitful men showed up in the town. And they told the king, we're clothes makers, but you can't see the clothes we make unless you have a discerning eye. If you're a dummy, not very smart, you can't see our clothes. Only smart people can see our clothes. Well, you know it's just a scam. So they set up clothes-making machinery. They had people come by, and because people didn't want to appear stupid, they go, wow, that looks good. And even the emperor came by one day, and he said, man, that looks good. That's the best-looking outfit I've ever seen in my life. Of course, there's nothing there, but he didn't want to be stupid. And then one day they dressed him in these new clothes that only smart people could see. And so he goes through the town in his smart clothes and everybody looking at him and they don't want to appear stupid either. So they say, man, that's beautiful. That's great. There was one little boy there and he's looking. He said, he doesn't have any clothes on. Well, the emperor thought that little boy's stupid. So he just keeps riding. But the little boy was right. The title of the sermon, Rich Man, Poor Man, is the view of the Laodiceans from themselves and the view of the Laodiceans from the perspective of Jesus Christ. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is Jesus instructing John to write. He said, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The sin of the Laodicean church was pride. They had come to a point in their ministry in their career, which they thought we're running on all cylinders. We're good. We know we're good. We do not need anything. 
The problem is that they created this spiritual blindness. And Jesus attacks that out of his love for them, not to condemn them. Because at the end of the passage, he said, those whom I love, I get on them a little bit. God forbid that he would never get on us a little bit. That he stopped doing that. Because we would be in danger. First thing, the cause of their spiritual deadness. They forgot who they served. The very first verse, Jesus identifies himself to them. He says, I am the amen, the faithful true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The word amen in the church, you know, somebody will say amen, it means so be it or truly. When Jesus spoke in the Bible this, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, it's the same as saying amen. This is truth. It is absolute because it comes from him. The Laodiceans had forgotten that Jesus is the source of all strength for the Christian. We can do nothing without Jesus Christ, but we can do everything through him that allows us to become strong. It's an interesting, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus saved me. I know that I'm weak. I know he is strong. The Laodiceans had flipped it around. I don't need Jesus. I'm somebody now. I got there. I'm the best. That's what they were doing. Thumbs up on everything. Jesus said, no, you're not. Remember that he is the word of God himself. When the Bible says, be you perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, the answer is Jesus is the yes. He was perfect. When the Bible says, do this and be obedient, Jesus, yes. He is the fulfillment of every promise God has ever made. They forgot that. He also says, I'm the faithful and true witness. The word witness here is the same used in the book of Acts, chapter 1, where Jesus said, you shall receive power from heaven and you will be my witnesses. It is the English word martyr. Someone who gives their life for a belief, for a person, a way of thinking, a way of doing. In other words, the Christian life is about sacrifice. It is about truth. When someone says to you the word of God can't be true, the answer is, oh, yes, it is. When someone says Jesus is not the only God, yes, he is. You see, we bear the responsibility to defend our master and our Lord up until the point of death. The Laodiceans, ah, everybody knows about Jesus by now. We're not worried about it. He also identifies himself beginning of the creation of God. This does not mean, as the Jehovah Witnesses and others think, that Jesus was the first created. If you read the book of Colossians, which the Laodiceans had, it means that Jesus stands before all creation because he created it. Everything that exists, every apple tree, banana tree, human, dog, cat, planet, star, the space in between came from the hands of Jesus Christ because the book of Colossians says he created all things and in him all things hold together. The very atoms that make up the human body. So they had to hear who Jesus was because they were dead. What happens when we're physically dead? As I said, they forgot who they served. They also focused on personal prosperity. Everybody in this room is rich. In comparison to our world, we're rich. We have more than one suit of clothes. We have food to eat. 
A lady got behind me in Walmart and Teresa and I were talking and she inserted herself in the conversation and she said, you know, it's hard not to be thankful when you have a refrigerator full of food. She's right. We are the rich of the world, but when we allow our riches to overwhelm our sense of responsibility to Jesus Christ, we will become just like them. And what happens? Our deeds become perfunctory. Yeah, well, I can share the gospel anytime. There's somebody out there. Our deeds are also ineffective. Because you can share the gospel, I can, but if it's not empowered by Jesus Christ, if it's done of my own self-worth and who I think I am, it is ineffective. It's ineffective. Not only did they have pride, but that pride carries itself out because there are characteristics that follow spiritual deadness. One is, Jesus said, I am lukewarm. I'm pretending to be the Laodiceans because I've been that way myself. I know how it is. He says, because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, verse 16, I will vomit you out of my mouth. If you don't know what lukewarm is, just let pour a big old hot cup of coffee, let it sit for 30 minutes, and then go drink it. Nobody will do that. It's not hot enough. It's not cold. It is not, it is not a latte, and it is not a frappuccino, if you know what those are. It is somewhere in the middle and undrinkable. So he says that we're ineffective. In the city of Laodicea, they had aqueducts. You see that aqueduct? We're out here coming to church. If you come from my side of the town as you come into Rome, that's an aqueduct. Top of it, they would send water through it. The city of Laodicea got their water from the town of Hierapolis about six miles away. They were famous for hot springs. So they would send the water down, and by the time it got to Laodicea, it is just lukewarm. And you could not take a cold drink of lukewarm water, and Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's unacceptable. And he uses a strong term there to let them know the seriousness of it. Could you imagine Christians when we get lukewarm? Here's what we're like. And there's a great example in the Bible. Lot. All you got to do is go over the book of Genesis and read about Lot. Abraham's nephew. Lot wanted to be just like the people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to be near them. He wanted to be close to them. And the only way he could get that way is when he moved there is to become like them. They didn't know he was a believer. They knew nothing of it. As a matter of fact, when the angels came to the city of Sodom and said, we're going to destroy this place, he went to his son-in-laws and said, get up, get out, because God is going to destroy this city. You know what his son-in-laws did? They packed their suitcases. They got everything. No, they didn't do that. It said he appeared to be to them as a person telling a joke because there was nothing in his life that he had ever done to share God's word with them. Ineffective. As a matter of fact, he was so ineffective, he spent the night there. Would you spend the night, excuse me, would you spend the night in a city and God said he's going to destroy it? Would you stay there? I would get up. I'd get my 20-year-old Toyota pickup. 
that Alan Binkley just fixed, and I'd put that thing on the road and go. But they didn't. As a matter of fact, the next morning, the Bible says the angels had to grab him and drag him out. And his own wife looked back with longing, the Bible said, and she got her prayer answered and was turned into a pillar of salt like the rest of the people. Ineffective witness. That's what Jesus is warning the Laodiceans. Another characteristic of their spiritual deadness is there was no direction for engaging the culture. You and I are supposed to be lights in a dark world. We're supposed to lead in our culture. When culture says this is okay, we're supposed to say, no, it is not. You know why people don't? They're afraid. They're scared. I understand. I hate controversy. Anybody like controversy? I'm going to give you the next one I have. I hate it. But that does not mean we will not deal with it. And I mean that in kindness because the God we serve is bigger than everybody in the universe. The God we serve says, serve me, be faithful unto death. He told one of these churches that. Dr. Robert George, who is a professor at Princeton University, he wrote this book. And it was about Christian colleges. He said, Christian colleges only have three choices when it comes to our culture. I think the same is true about churches. Here's what he said. The first thing you can do is isolate. You can become like a little monastery and say, we're going to hold the fort until Jesus comes. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to say anything, but we're going to get in here in our little group and we're going to be away and we're going to be faithful in our little group, but we're never going to get out there in the big world because they may get mad at us. They might even listen to us, but we're staying right here at home. He said, that's a bad one. Then he said, you can engage culture. You can decide that what Jesus Christ said is that God so loved the world, and then we can engage the culture and talk to people about Jesus. We can share Jesus. We can talk about it at our homes. We can talk about it wherever we're at. Because you and I, if we're children of the king and children of the greatest person who has ever existed, we ought to say something about it, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we honor Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we wake up and the men of the household say, this is a beautiful day that Jesus has made. We should say to our wives, you're the best looking woman that God ever made. And if you don't believe that about your wife, you should. We men should rise up wherever we go and thank God if we're at the gas station, thank, thank him because he's allowed us to have transportation and share it with others because there's an entire world looking at you and I to see whether our king is worth it. The other thing, and this is what the Laodiceans did, Dr. George said, we can assimilate. Anybody watch Star Trek? Come on, you can admit you watch Star Trek. You remember there was this group on there, they were the Borg, B-O-R-G. And they would assimilate all other people so that you lost your identity. And I remember it well, it says, resistance is futile. You shall become one with the Borg. Lost their humanity, lost this. This is what happened to the church at Laodicea. They lost their uniqueness. 
They became just like everybody else. They were lots of the New Testament. Rebecca Manley Pippert, when I was in seminary, she re I read a book she wrote. It was called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She got saved in college. She got so excited, she came back to her roommate and said, you know what? I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And her roommate said, well, I'm a Christian. And she was so stunned. She said, I've been living with you this long time. I didn't even, I've never heard you say the name Jesus. How can you be saved and not share him? Assimilate, become just like the culture. That was the layout of sins. They didn't deny Jesus. They just never spoke about it. They didn't do any horrible sins in the sense of what we understand, but they committed the worst. They left it. Spiritual deadness is also contagious. I'm going to speak a little bit about pastors. I love our pastor. He's not afraid to take on hard topics. He speaks the Bible. And you know what I learned? That gets you in a heap of trouble. You can. Because most people, and I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. Most of us Christians do not want to follow the Bible when it comes to us. We don't want to follow Matthew 18. We want to gossip. Bible says, if you know your brother has all, go to them. I had somebody call me one day, and they wanted to talk about somebody. You know, such and such says such and such to such and such. And they said, what should I do? I said, well, when you went to them and shared your concerns, just like the Bible said, what did they say? Well, I didn't do that. But when you do that, let me know what they say. I'll admit I'm like that to some degree. It's contagious. And there are many pastors in pulpits who don't have the courage or the integrity to preach the Word of God the way it is. And I say that to the shame of all of us who are called to do that because your lives and the lives of your children and grandchildren demand that we be faithful. Doesn't always happen. It begins with leadership. And that's why I appreciate our leadership willing to preach the Word of God. And you know why we're afraid? We're afraid we're going to lose church members. Sometimes we're afraid we're going to lose our positions. We're going to afraid we lose our possessions. I will let you into a secret. Now, don't tell everybody about this, please. We're all going to lose everything anyway. And Mr. Allison, I don't have any children to fight over our stuff. I don't know who's going to get it because she outlives me. She's liable to get a new Bubba and share it with her. I don't know. It's contagious because things filter through the church. And even Jesus himself said, if the salt has lost its uniqueness, it's good for nothing to be thrown out. Now, somebody has pointed out sodium chloride cannot be anything but salt. Well, in the Bible, they would go to the Dead Sea. They would buy this mixture of stuff that contains salt and had other minerals and chemicals in it. The salt would leach out over time, and when you got it, it was just the other stuff. They would throw it out. That's what Jesus is talking about. If that which guides my heart, soul, and mind is gone, then what do I have? Nothing. John Wolvard, who wrote a great commentary on the book of Revelation, 
he said that the church at Laodicea had moved from Christianity to churchianity. They were good at church. They were lousy at Christianity. What is the cure for spiritual deadness? One, we have to remember the source of our faith. Jesus said this to them, verse 18, I advise you to buy gold refined by fire. The city of Laodicea was rich. They had had an earthquake in AD 60. They were able to rebuild it with their own money. They didn't need a PPP loan to get it. No government funds. They built it out of their own resources, and they were proud they were able to do that. They thought they were rich, and they needed no one to do anything. Jesus said, you're poor. You don't know it. Spiritually, they were poor. They thought they were rich. They were poor. Jesus also said to them, you need to get white garments so that you may clothe yourself and not be naked. The city of Laodicea produced a type of black wool sold all over the Asia. They were proud of it. Jesus is saying, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You and I have to be made white spiritually by the blood of Jesus. He also said, you need eye salve. The Laodiceans had a medical school there and they produced this thing called Phrygian powder. Phrygia was the area. And you could mix this powder with water, put it on the eyes, and it would provide healing. Jesus said, no, you need to get what I give you so that your spiritual eyes are opened. He also said you need to repent. This is the hard one for all of us, repent. I don't like to do it because I don't like to think I've done any wrong, but I have. He even says, be zealous and repent. Get to it. One day, I got a text message from Teresa. Three letters. And they were big letters, too. You ever get a text from your wife, men? You better read immediately. It had three letters. J-G-D. I thought it meant just great Don. I called her. It didn't mean that. She had told me to do something. I had failed to do it. J-G-D meant just get it done. <laughs> Don't send your husband that. And I got it done. The same way Jesus is emphasizing, be zealous, get back to where you want to be because lives are on the line. Be the church that he called us to be. He said this, he said, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame. Are y'all familiar with Nike footwear? They even have that, that little swoosh. The word Nike is found in the Bible. It's right here where Jesus said, he who overcomes. It is the Greek word nikeo. It means victory. He who is victorious, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame, sat down with my father on his throne. Be victorious because I am victorious. The church is encouraged. Jesus has already won the war. He has asked us to help him, to bring healing. The aftermath of a great spiritual war where the enemy still goes around trying to deceive us. It's that important. I read a story when I was at lived in Greenville. We had a chapel service. 
there was a young lady, and I watched on the video. I, I only cried in two chapels at North Greenville. This is one of them that brought tears to me. This young lady, her mother tried to abort her. 1977, her name is Gianna Jessen. Her mother tried to abort her, but the abortion was unsuccessful. Let me read this to you. They used a salt solution to try and kill her. Her mother was 17 years old and she was seven months pregnant when the abortion was attempted. The young girl survived the saline burns and was born alive. The abortion doctor was not there, that's why she survived. So the nurse called for an ambulance and she was taken to a hospital. The doctor who attempted to abort her had to sign her birth certificate. Because of her saline burns, she had cerebral palsy. It was predicted she would never get up and walk in her entire life. She had four operations, first 10 years of her life. Her biological mother confronted her at an event and told her she was an embarrassment that she had lived. She told her mother that she forgave her. And her mother told her she didn't need her forgiveness. She went before the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Born Alive Infants Protection Act of 2000. I want you to listen to what she said. I was saved by the sheer power of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for my cerebral palsy. It allows me to really depend on Jesus for everything. And then she quotes, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. She said, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. She quoted God's word. Then she said, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. She ended her testimony by saying, death did not prevail over me, and I am so thankful. How did she get to be a Christian? Shouldn't that produce bitterness and angry, anger over God who would allow that? She was adopted. The lady who adopted her was a Christian. She was over, able to overcome because she recognized that while her own biological mother didn't love her, the great father of the universe did. She was able to see love through her adoptive mother. She was able, and that love of God overcame the negativity of her own mother. Her adopted mother was not from the city of Laodicea. She probably came, and I'm speaking from the book, she probably came from a church like Smyrna, which Jesus commended them for their righteousness. He even said, I know your poverty, 
but you are rich. You and I have to decide whether or not we will be like the Laodiceans or we will be exactly what Jesus said we should do. The king of heaven has already overcome. Those who have gone on to heaven are cheerleading for us. The angels who go back and forth are pulling for us. And all of God's people are called to do one thing, declare the gospel with everybody we meet. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of the living God. Just like Gianna Jessen heard it and was saved. May we pray together? Father, we're grateful for the church at Laodicea, that we can learn what to do. You call us to repent. You call us to be wise. You call us to be faithful. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that every man, woman, and child in the universe, this world, would hear the gospel of the great king who gave himself. We love you. We know we're not worthy to call upon your name, but we call because you have asked us and commanded us to. Lord God, forgive our sin. Heal our world through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.